Good morning, everybody. Thank you for being in the house this morning. Thank you for worshiping, Lord. Can we give a hand to our worship team, man? They did an amazing job. <clears throat> I was singing so hard. I'm like, dang, I hope I don't lose my voice. I forgot. I got to preach today. Amen. Uh, but, you know, that's what happens when you're in the presence of the Lord. Amen. How many of you were here last week to hear the message from our, our pastor from Maui, Pastor Jonathan? Man, wasn't that a great word? Uh, I just want to encourage you, if you missed it, uh, you catch it online. I think it was such a powerful message on what God is doing, the testimonies uh, that are coming out of Maui. But one thing that's just been ringing in my head all week is one of the things that he said, you know, we all come into this world with nothing, and we're going to leave this world with nothing. Amen? I don't know about you, but that sobered me up all week to just put the main things, the main thing, and put Jesus and his purpose for my life first. So I want to encourage you, get online, listen to that message, listen to it again. Um, but let's, uh, I think that's just a powerful, powerful thing. Well, this morning we are continuing our series, Ohana Matters, and we're looking at, we've been looking at lessons from the first family in the Bible, the book of Genesis. And, and in the life of Adam and Eve, we see a lot of lessons for our lives and how we can lay the foundation and build families that honor God. Unfortunately, from their bad example, we learn things that uh, we ought not to do. But one of the two of the things that we started off with is making sure that God is our foundation, that the foundation of our family, the foundation of our lives has to begin with God. Amen. And it has to begin with his word, that it's not our opinions. It's not our ideas. It's his word and his truth that needs to be the governing force in our lives. And we're going to continue today by looking at uh, the next part in the story found in Genesis chapter 4. And we're going to extract lessons for all of us in all of our lives uh, from it. So if you have the Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. If not, it'll be up on screen for you. And uh, we're going to pick it up starting in verse 2. And it says this, Adam, this is now after the fall, by the way, they were kicked out of Eden because of that whole thing. Adam made love to his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept the flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord and Abel brought an offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. You are now, now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Can we pray this morning as we talk about God's word? Father, we thank you for your word. And we invite your spirit to minister to us and to speak to all of our hearts, wherever we are in life, whether we're old Christians or we're brand new today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to every single one of our hearts the truth that you want each of us to receive today. We ask you to come and be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The title of my message this morning is Raising Canes. Play on words there, obviously. Raising Canes. How many of you love Raising Canes? Raising Canes. Not bad, huh? It's expensive chicken, but it's good chicken. Um, 
And I just found out last night, they are the official chicken of the University of Hawaii football team. I didn't know that we had a thing, but they are the official chicken of the UH football team. Obviously, we're not talking about chicken today. We're talking about raising canes. Cain in the Bible, but all of us, if we're not careful, there is a spirit of Cain that can raise up inside of each of us. And if we're not careful, we might raise Cain's in our families and in our households. And I think there's a lot of truth in this text that will help us to avoid both. The Cain's that we want to raise up in our own soul and pollute our hearts and the Cain's that we don't want to raise in our households. We, want, we don't want that spirit of Cain. Can I hear an amen to that? And if we're not intentional in how we lead, first of all, the young people in our lives, this is our family series, uh, we might raise canes un unintentionally. Whether you're a parent or not, we all have young people in our lives that we influence. Isn't that true? Whether you're an auntie or an uncle or grandma or grandpa, even not in your own family, if you're a coach or you're a teacher, we all influence young people all around us. And I think this text speaks to how we can be intentional about how to do that, lest we raise canes all around us, which we obviously don't want. And again, like I said, if we're not intentional, there's a spirit of Cain that wants to raise up inside of each of our hearts to pollute the good things that God would have for us. And so this message will apply to all of us, no matter where you're at in life, whether you're a parent or not all of us uh, can take something away from this message so I want to start off right off the bat with a few takeaways number one from we see from this text and from this whole story really if parents don't make God their foundation neither will the kids if parents don't make God the foundation intentionally laying that foundation that's where we spent the first two weeks of this series if we don't make that our foundation neither will our children or it's very unlikely at least if you recall <clears throat> in the garden Adam and Eve didn't make God the center it's why everything fell apart in the first place. Eve, it says in the text, she saw for herself, even though she knew God said not to eat from the fruit of the tree, it says that she saw for herself that it was good for food. She determined for herself that it was pleasing to the eye and, and desirable for gaining wisdom. And so she, in that moment, became her own God. In fact, if you remember, she referred to him as Elohim, the lower name for God. You're just one of the many gods. You're just one of the many opinions. I will have my own opinion about what I'm going to do for my life. She became her own God. And when we are our own God, that the Bible says is sin. And all of us in our lives, we're going to wrestle with making God the foundation and his word that, that what we build our lives upon, or we're going to say, I'm going to decide for myself. That was the first sin of Eve, was deciding for herself that she would be her own God. <clears throat> and if we don't make God the foundation, it's going to trickle down. And it's going to trickle down and degenerate even further, most, more than likely from generation to generation. If you recall, I, I cited this statistic um, a couple of, couple of weeks ago that just on the influence of parents in the family, right? If the mother goes to church but not the father, less than 2% of children will grow up, grow up to be worshipers of God in the future. However, if the father and not the mother... 66% to 75%. And then I found this study uh, that, that came out that corroborates this. It's very similar. If both parents are, are, are going to church, then 72% of children uh, will, be, will be Christ followers later on in life. If only the father, 55%. If only the mother, 15%. And if neither, less than 6%, <clears throat> will be worshipers of God as they grow up as adults. And so this shows the tremendous impact that parents have on their kids' faith. Which is why, again, we need to make sure that we have a solid foundation in our lives first. Can I hear an amen to that? And I do believe that this, this implies, this also applies to grandparents and aunties and uncles because we have profound impact, especially here in Hawaii where our families are all very close. There's a tremendous impact we can have. There's a, there's a couple that comes to our, our 730 service that always brings their niece to church. 
every single week without fair, brings the niece and, and, the, and she just loves coming to church. They're intentional to influence the young people, the young person that's in their life. And uh, therefore, we have to make sure that God is our foundation. Like you hear every time you get on an airplane, right? Make sure your oxygen mask is on first before you help someone else. Because you can't help someone else if you pass out, right? And so we got to make sure that our oxygen mask of faith is on first. And now I know some of you here are younger. I see some of you that you're like, I don't have any kids yet. So I'll take this God thing seriously when I get older. The reality is whatever habits we've built up for the first 20, 30, 40 years of our lives is going to continue on more than likely. It's going to be hard to break those habits. So don't wait till you're older to take God seriously. Lay that foundation of faith now. Can I hear an amen to that? We need to lay it now wherever you are, however young you are, however old you are. The foundation of God first is going to be what's going to ensure whether or not our kids follow him later on or our grandkids and nieces and nephews by extension. And it's not just about going to church. It's about being a follower of Christ because no one likes a hypocrite, right? And, we, and everyone knows it's not just attending church and doing the external stuff that matters. It's the heart. And kids, our grandkids, our nieces and nephews, they see what's going on in our lives beyond what we say. We can say you need to go to church and they'd be probably thinking, bro, you pay attention when you go to church because the way that you act when you're at home, right? Oh, come on, somebody. So it's not just about doing the thing. It's about living the life. And that takes a lot of intentionality. You know, furthermore, research indicates, again, on the influence of parents on kids. I want you to throw up, throw up that father absence crisis uh, graphic that when there isn't a father in the home, 4% greater risk of poverty for the children more likely to have behavioral problems, 2% greater risk of infant mortality, more likely to go to prison, more likely to commit a crime, seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teenager, more likely to face abuse and neglect, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, two times more likely to suffer obesity, and two times more likely to drop out of school. And there's statistics after statistics when you look it up. The evidence is so clear. Our influence is, is tremendous. And so we have to take our faith seriously. Can I hear an amen? We have to take it seriously. Our role to steward the lives of the young people that God's placed in our lives. It starts with us. And I'm speaking as a father, as a parent. It starts with all of us. And you know, aunties, uncles, grandpas, and grandmas, you guys play a tremendous important role as well. But all of us have influence in the lives of young people. And we have to take that role very, very seriously. The second thing that we see here <clears throat> from this story is that we need to destroy envy and jealousy before it destroys our family. Destroy envy and jealousy before it destroys our family. Let's look back at the text of what happened. Verse two, it says, now Abel kept the flocks and Cain worked the soil. They had different jobs, right? Abel was a shepherd. He took care of the animals. Cain worked the soil. He was a farmer. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits. Make note of that. Some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, the fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Make note of that. The Lord looked with favor on Abel in his offering, but on Cain and his offering did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. We'll get to why, I, why we think Cain's, you know, God looked with favor on Abel's, but whatever reason, Cain was envious of the way that God responded to his offering in comparison to his brother's offering. And there was a spirit of envy that began to rise up in Cain's heart. I mean, he might have been dealing with it his whole life where how come everybody likes what Abel brings to the potluck more than what I bring to the potluck? You know what I'm talking about? Because how many of you love it when that dude walks in with the two big ribeye rib steaks from Costco versus the person that walks in with the veggie platter? I mean, come on, that's, 
<laughs> like really vegetables come on buddy you know I mean now that I'm older I appreciate the vegetables okay but back in the day I was like no no I, I like the dude that brings a steak and the chicken invite them you know veggie platter person yeah anyway all right so so maybe maybe that's what Cain was dealing with in his life like man I'm, I'm always everybody likes Abel's food better you know what I mean because who doesn't love a good steak or a good slice of bacon come on I'm getting hungry now right and so maybe his whole life he was envious of his brother and then now God is favoring Abel's offering over mine and this is like this isn't fair and if we're not careful inside of every single one of us there's a spirit of Cain and envy that wants to rise up isn't that true we see it in so many places in our lives I mean if and if we're not careful it'll run rampant in our soul I mean just talking about parenting siblings are, are are pretty regularly envious and jealous of one another how many of you have brothers and sisters ever been envious or jealous of them I, I hear it all the time in my house it's not fair how come they get this it's not fair how come they get that it's not fair how come they got the last slice of pizza I mean it's just like ah right <clears throat> we hear it all the time we look at what someone else has and we feel like somehow it's an attack on us and that might have been what Cain was feeling how come everyone loves Abel's offerings more than mine God even likes Abel's offering more than mine this isn't fair and something inside of him was rising up this envy and jealousy but we also see it at work don't we how come that person gets the promotion when I work just as hard as them right oh how come they got a new chair and mine's is falling apart right how come they get this favor and the boss says hi to them but the boss never says hi to me and we just like it's not fair and have you ever noticed that when you envy someone you hate everything about them right it's just like I don't like your face you know like your, your clothes I don't I just don't I just don't like you I remember when I was when I was in high school I played soccer uh, pro city high school and there was this kid that that never would get in trouble from the coach don't you hate those you know what I mean like like we'd all like be getting yelled at and for some reason he's fine and you know I I, I can't you know this is like 20 some years ago but objectively in my mind he didn't do any better than the rest of us the coach just seemed to like him more and we hated that guy I would see him in school like this guy well, I got new shoes huh? all right on. you know what I mean it's just like everything you just don't like and but now I look back I go I don't think he did anything wrong he was just doing his thing but that envy from one little thing starts to spiral out into a whole lot of other things you just feel it it's just like I, you, you're as far as I can tell you're a nice dude but I just don't like you you know because I'm envious and we see that growing up in Cain's heart did Abel do anything wrong not as far as we can tell but he was just jealous of the different response and the different uh, you know reactions that people were giving to his brother we see it rise up in so many places we see it in athletics right why does this person get the start over me why does this person get more playing time over me right we just continually do that we see it just in normal life oh how come that person gets that nice car oh, I work just as hard as that person I like when Tesla too right you know what I'm saying like you just you just all these things roll in our minds and if we're not careful that spirit of Cain will rise up inside of every single one of us and the Bible warns us very clearly about allowing envy and jealousy to fester in our hearts look at what it says here in James chapter 3 <clears throat> for where you have envy and selfish ambition notice the two are combined we'll see that again where there's envy and selfish ambition there you find disorder and every evil practice wow so the Bible seems to be telling us that if we don't deal with this envy thing in us it will grow up into every evil practice maybe that's why we manipulate people because we're envious and we want an outcome that we're not getting maybe this is why we lie maybe this is why we steal maybe that's this is why anger turns into rage which turns into murder as in the case here because there's something in our soul of envy that 
how come I'm not getting what they're getting? This isn't fair. And if we're not careful and we don't deal with the spirit of envy, it can turn into a lot of evil in our lives. And that's why the, the Apostle Paul reminds us in Philippians to do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Have you noticed that when you're envious of someone, you can't be happy for them? Have you noticed that? Like, I, I, I wish I had what you had, so I'm, I'm not happy about what you have. I've, I've worked with a bunch of athletes over the years, and, and I remember one in particular was saying, because he lost a starting job to somebody else. I won't name, name the school nor the position, but he lost a starting job, and he was telling me, I can't be happy for him. I want him to fail because he took my job. And I was like, oh, that is not good, right? He even said, he even said to me, I, I, when he's in, I hope we lose. I was like, whoa, buddy. Now, lest we judge him, I think we all kind of feel like that sometimes. Man, man, how come he gets that? I can't be happy for him. How come he has that and I don't have that? I don't, new car, yeah, hope you're tithing. You know what I mean? We just start thinking all kinds of things in our mind and we get envious and we get jealous and it turns down and, and subtly if we don't deal with that, we might want to undermine them. We might want to undercut them. We might want to start rumors that take them down because secretly we're, it's our own selfish ambition that's rising. I want what they have, so we can't, be, we can't lift them up. But look at what the text says. It says, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. We should be lifting people up, amen? But instead of doing that and celebrating the fact that Abel's getting favor from God, man, Cain should have been like, bro, man, what are you doing? What are you doing right? Teach me. What am I doing wrong? Help me here instead of being envious and jealous. But if we don't deal with that spirit of Cain in us, it will rise up. It'll pollute all of our relationships, right? And so number three here, we need, to, we need to focus more on pleasing God over focusing on what other people are doing. Because when that spirit of envy is rising up, we're usually more focused on what other people have, what other people are doing, rather than ourselves and what we're not doing. Look at what God told Cain here in, in, in verse six. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Watch this. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. What, what, what word is repeated over and over in, in what God said here? You. The focus needs to be on you. You're more focused on what he's doing. I'm saying be more focused on what you're doing. Cain was focused on what Abel was doing. Abel was just focused on God. Cain needed to focus more on himself. What am I not doing right here? What is wrong with my offering? What is wrong with what I'm doing in the way that I'm living? One of my kids always would say, it's not fair. How come so-and-so? I don't want to gender them nor explain a little bit too much because it'll give too much away. But anyway, always says, it's not fair. How come so-and-so has this? It's not, it's not fair, right? How many of you ever heard that, parents or grandparents, right? It's not fair. Here's what I told this person. I, in fact, I told them all this. Actually, it's extremely fair because I am treating you the way that your actions deserve. If you weren't doing good at school, then, I mean, if you were doing good at school, then you'd have more time to play with your friends like the other one does. But because you're not doing as good at school, then you, do, you have less time. It's actually fair. The, it, life isn't going to be equitable. We're all not going to get same outcomes, right? But you can have the same treatment. The way that your actions deserve, that's how you're going to be treated. That's at least what I tell my kids. And so you may feel like it's not fair, but I'm responding to your actions and your behavior and your attitude. Oh, that's even worse, right? 
It's the attitude. Oh my God. You may do all the right stuff, but it's that attitude. Your attitude sucks. So I'm going to respond to your attitude a certain way that may be different because of the other one doesn't have that same attitude. You follow what I'm saying? So while we say it's not fair, no, no, no. You got to focus on what you're doing rather than what they're getting and what you're not getting because it's based off of you. And often when we're envious, we're looking at what other people have rather than saying, okay, God, what am, am I doing what you want me to do? Am I responding to you and your word the way that you want me to? Because here's the truth. If we do, then God will respond in the same way to us. That's what God was telling Cain here. If you do what is right, you'll be accepted. You'll be fine. But as it is right now, the implication is you're not doing the right thing. Can we talk about that, right? If you do, if you do not do what is right, sin is coming at you. You need to take control of that and you need to deal with that it desires to have you but you must rule over it what did we not do in right Cain what's going on in your own soul what are you doing that is that is not bringing the favor of God and people now we joke about the fact that he brought veggies to the potluck okay but you know some theologians speculate okay why did God accept Abel's offering over Cain's was it because God you know likes a juicy steak over a veggie platter the reality is in the, in, the, in the Mosaic law, when this, was, when this would have been, been taught, both produce offerings and meat offerings would have been accepted. And so many theologians don't think it was because Abel brought meat and Cain brought veggies. That's why God was upset. Instead, it was with the heart that Cain brought his offering. That was the issue. It wasn't what he did. It wasn't what he brought. It was the heart that he brought it with. It was the attitude that came along with it. And, and, and let me show you this from back to verse 2. Abel kept the flocks, Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits. Notice that, some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, but what did he bring? The fat portions of some of the firstborn of his flock. The firstborn and the fat portions are the best parts. Abel brought the best to God, whereas Cain only brought some of the, of the leftovers to God. It'd be like, you came to the potluck and you brought like two trays of ribeye from Costco. You know what I'm talking about? And someone showed up with which what looks like leftover vegetables from the fridge. <clears throat> it's the leftovers. You know, it's the leftovers. Like, like you clearly didn't put much attention and time into this. It's just the leftovers. Cain, the Bible indicates, brought the leftovers to God, whereas Abel brought the best. He was giving God his best, whereas Cain gave him the leftovers. And how many of us don't like a good steak with the fatty portions? Amen. <clears throat> but when we bring God the leftovers, what is that a reflection of? God, you only deserve the leftovers of my life. Versus Cain brought God the, uh, Abel brought God the best. What is that an indication of? You deserve my best. You deserve the best of everything, God, because you are God. And I want to worship you as God. It was the heart that Abel brought to God, not just what he brought, that brought God's pleasure. Versus Cain did what he did, maybe out of obligation. Maybe out of envy. Nobody likes my veggie platter, so whatever. I'm going to give you whatever, right? Maybe with a bad attitude, he brought it. Well, obviously, with a bad attitude, he brought it. Look what Hebrews says about this. Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did, and here's why. By faith. He offered his offering by faith, and it was by faith he was commended as righteous when, he, when God spoke well of his offerings. It wasn't what he brought. It was the faith that Abel brought. I'm going to give you the best, God, because you deserve the best, and that's what God was after. That's what God is after. You know what this would look like for us is sometimes we do a good deed, but we do it with a bad attitude. Anybody ever did that? Like you do something that you know you're supposed to do, but you do it gritting your teeth, 
bad attitude in your heart, right? Whether it's those that come to serve, oh, I gotta serve, <laughs> drive the shuttle today, <laughs> right? Now, none of our volunteers are like, y'all are amazing, I know that. I'm just speaking for myself, because I did this for many years, setting up with a bad attitude, <laughs> no one ever helps me, plugging in the game, you know, I did that, okay, listen, I know what that feels like, okay? You just do it with a bad attitude, I'm doing it, God, I'm here, but the attitude, right? Like, you don't want to be here. Why are you doing this? Is it out of envy? Is it a selfish ambition? You think you're going to get something out of this? Is that why you're doing it? Are you doing it because you love me? God would ask. So Cain's bringing his off. Here you go, God, and leftover romaine lettuce. I hope you like it. You know what I mean? Like, God's what is it? It's your attitude. It sucks, right? And, and for many of us, we have to look at our heart because if we're doing the right things with the wrong attitude, it doesn't bring the favor of God. In fact, look at what the psalmist writes. God doesn't care about what we bring. It's our heart. For if you delight in sacrifice, for you, you will not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. God doesn't care about our sacrifice. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken, and, broken spirit and a contrite heart. It's the right heart that God is after. Oh God, you do not despise. It's the attitude. It's the heart with which we live. It's which we, which we serve. Why, when we come to church, if you're here at church because you felt guilty and you're dragging yourself in here, that's not the right heart. Now, hopefully you feel better now, right? But it's, God is after our heart, not just our behavior. And that leads to number four. This relates to all of us and, and our parenting and our, and our leading our children. Tend to the heart, not just the behavior. Tend to the heart, not just the behavior. Far too often, we settle for behavior and we don't tend to the hearts, right? But God is far more interested in what's going on in our heart than just our external behavior. Again, with Cain, he cared about his heart. I don't care what you're bringing me. It's the heart behind it that I'm concerned about. Abel, yes, he brought me the best, but that was a reflection of his heart. He wanted to give me the best. God doesn't need our stuff. He wants our hearts. So whether we're serving or we're tithing and we're doing it with the wrong heart, God's like, you know, we got, let's talk about that heart. And I love what God did here with Cain, knowing what was going on in Cain's heart. He comes to him and he says, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? He could see something was going on in his body language. Yes, you're doing the, the, the external tasks. You're doing the behavior, but I see something going on in your heart. And it's a reflection, reflecting on your face, you know. And look at what he said. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And he's, he's trying to get Cain to deal with this envy and jealousy and anger and selfish ambition in his own heart. But if we're not careful, we'll just settle for the external behavior. First of all, in ourselves, well, I'm here. I'm in church. Yeah, but what's with the attitude? Yeah, I serve. I give. I'm kind to people. Yeah, but you, secretly you're saying, get out of my way, idiot, right? And you, you, have a, you have a smile on your face, but what's going on in the back of your heart, right? You let the person go, but you're like, drive faster. I wish I could ram you. You know what I'm saying? Sorry, that's real for me. I think that sometimes. I'm like... I tell my wife sometimes, man, I wish I had a battering ram. Oh my God, I just wish, I just want a tank right now. Anyway, see, it's the heart. I haven't rammed anybody yet. Yay. No, but my heart is wrong. Okay. Oh, good job. You didn't kill anybody, but you wish you, you know, anyway. So God, and I don't wish I could kill anybody. I just, it's a love tap. Get out of my way. Anyway, right. But it's the heart. See, and that's what God is always after in us. And that's what we need to look at when we are working with the kids that we get to raise. Because here's what often happens. I'll just tell you what happens in our house. Go on your iPad because I'm tired. I don't want to, I, I, I need to rest. I need to, I just need to decompress. Just go, go, be quiet. Don't make any noise. And we're happy because they're not fighting. 
right? They're not setting anything on fire. The house isn't falling down, but they're just on their devices or watching something. And we don't know what's going on in their heart, but we feel like we're doing a good job as parents because, you know, they were quiet and I got to rest and have my space. We're not tending to the heart in that moment. Or they're fighting. We tell them, just suck it up. Go to your room. Don't fight anymore. But we never dealt with what's going on in the heart. And there still could be envy and jealousy growing in there that we never tended to. And we need to tend to not just their behavior. Oh, they were quiet. But what's going on in the heart? What's going on in their minds as they're thinking about the things that they're thinking about, right? And have you noticed that if you don't tend to something, things don't generally get better? This is give you give you practical examples. If you don't tend to your car, is it going to get better? No, it's going to fall apart, right? The oil needs to be changed. The tires need to be changed. Not only does it not stay the same, it gets worse. If you don't tend to your yard, will it automatically get nicer and better? No, it'll get worse. Weeds will grow up, right? And it'll overgrow and it'll get terrible. If you don't tend to your health, Will it magically get better on its own? No, it will degenerate. Everything, the law of entropy applies to everything, including our attitude and our hearts. And if we don't tend to not just the behavior, but the hearts of the people that we have to steward, the young people we have to steward, then it's not going to get better. It's generally going to get worse. And I wonder where Adam and Eve were when they saw Cain's attitude getting bad. Maybe he just said, ah, that's boys will be boys. You know, let them go. They'll work it out on their own. Will they? apparently not oh you know you know i'm too busy i don't have time to tend to that just just go on your ipad just go distract yourself just go out in the field do what you do i don't care and we don't tend to the heart and it will spiral downward more likely than not <clears throat> don't settle for just the behavior we have to tend to the hearts of our kids that involves a lot of time to listen it involves a lot of time to spend time to talk and have conversations and to draw out things it's hard but it's worth it don't just settle for they're getting all a's or they're getting good grades, and they're not, they're, not get, they're not getting in trouble, and they're doing well in sports. If the heart is growing more and more selfish, that's a problem. I wonder if Adam looked, and man, Cain, man, his crops are doing good. His fields look good. He's getting all A's and B's in school, right on. Eh, he's got a bad attitude, but eh, who doesn't, and just let it go, right? Eh, he's doing well. He's performing well. Look at his crops, right? And then next thing we know, jealousy, envy, murder. We can't just settle for behavior. And one of the things that I think is a lot of our weakness, I'll speak to myself, is I look at the behavior. Well, they're, they're not getting in fights. They're not getting in trouble. Ah, everything is okay, but are they getting more selfish or are they becoming more selfless? Are they becoming more like Christ or are they becoming more like the world? We have to tend to the heart, not just the behavior. Can I hear an amen to that? I want to say, speak to the young people for just a moment in this room because we have more young people at this service. You have to allow people to speak into your life. And I say that you have to allow people to speak into your life. I remember being a teenager, man. I thought I knew everything. Oh my God, I had life all figured out by the time I was 15. It was amazing. I was a prodigy. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> and then, I, then you get older and life hits you in the face and you realize, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. It would have been so much better if I could have just listened to the people God's placed in my life a lot sooner. How many of you agree? Those of you that are older now, you recognize, man, if I just listened. Yeah, come on. Put your hands up. Come on. Let's show all the young people that I'm not talking. Out of my, right, right? If I just listened, I could have avoided some of those landmines. If I just humble myself and let them tend to me more than I did, I might have avoided a lot of the pitfalls and maybe I would have been a lot more ahead than I am today. We have to allow people to speak into our lives. That means we have to take what they're saying seriously and listen and let them coach us, let them speak into our lives. I was, a, I was a coach for a little while, and one of the things we coaches hate is a player that thinks that they know everything. We call them an uncoachable player. I don't care how talented you are. If you're uncoachable, you're going to hurt the team. 
because you don't see things. You can't see things that you can't see. Anybody ever seen, you know, the back of your neck? Except with a, with a mirror, right? I've never seen it. But there are tons, every, every single one of you can see what's going on in, on the back of my neck if I turned around. I need, we need people to be able to speak into our lives and to be able to coach us. And the worst thing is to have an uncoachable person who's unwilling to listen. And, and, and just teenagers, we tend to be pretty uncoachable at times. But can I encourage you? Be coachable. Let your parents speak into your life. Let the aunties and uncles that God's placed into your life, the mentors, the teachers, the grandparents speak in. Don't resist it because they've been through things that you haven't been through yet. They've experienced the mistakes and they want to spare you of that. Don't be the fool that has to learn by touching the hot stove. Let someone tell you that it's hot so you don't scar yourself, right? Don't be the fool that says, I got I to gotta see what it feels like. No, learn, get it. Then you'll get ahead. You'll be far more ahead than we are, amen? And isn't that all of our heart? that our kids and our grandkids will be far better than where we are. So learn from our example. Amen? Thank you for listening, young people. Hopefully you receive that. But we need to. We need to. And I wish, I wish that I had more influences younger growing up. I'd be even further ahead if I'd listened to them. Can I show you real quick <clears throat> four stages of parenting? And we talk about this more in our a, in a parenting huddle that we have. But there, there, the psychologists talk about there's four essential stages in parenting. The early years are the discipline years, and then the training years, then the coaching years, and then the friendship years. Let me, can, I, can I just, we're not going to park on each of these for time, but the younger they are, the more tight our discipline and training needs to be with, with our kids. The younger they are, this is this, this child development stuff. And the older, we can, as they get older, we can be a little bit looser. But notice where the friendship years are is when they're adults. When they're out of your house, they're living on their own, they've got their own jobs, they're paying their own rent and their own car insurance, right? Now we can be friends. Before that, I'm your coach, I'm training you, and I'm disciplining you. One of the mistakes that parents often make, and I, and I see it and I hear it, is they want to be friends with their kids way too early. They don't need you to be their, your friend. And you can't be codependent on them being your friend. You have to be their disciplinarian, their trainer, and their coach. If you want to be their friend, we're setting them up for failure. We're there to discipline them. We're there to train them. We're there to tend to their heart. We're there to coach them. And then later on in life when they're older, yeah, hopefully if we've done a good job, we can be great friends. And I hope to be great friends with all of my kids. But I got to understand, I can't need them to be my friend right now because I need to, be, uh, I need to fill another role in their life. One of the mistakes that we often make is we want to be buddies with our kids rather than playing the roles that we need to play. And that's a recipe for disaster, right? <clears throat> and in these stages, it goes from tighter to looser, but we got to know the appropriate place for that. We have a parenting huddle coming up on October the 21st. If any of you are interested, you can go to our website and find out more. We talk a little bit more about these things in practical ways, but I wanted to just kind of highlight that to you um, <clears throat> in this moment. Because the sad thing is, there is no evidence in the text that Adam was involved with Cain and Abel. There's no evidence there. There's no evidence that he spoke into it. Now, maybe he had a good excuse, and maybe he was busy. You know, God told me, fill the earth, all right? So I'm busy. I got to go, guys. You guys work it out, right? Maybe he had really good excuses. I hope he wasn't watching football, right, and missing those moments. But one way or another, he wasn't present to tend to the hearts of his boys, and things went massively south. So we need, to, we, need, we need to tend to that. And I hear a lot of parents say, well, I, I, I provide for them. I, I work extra hours so that I can buy them the stuff that they want. In fact, I heard one parent say, I work so much overtime so I could buy them all the stuff, send them to the schools, and then this happens. How could this happen? And I realized they don't need your money. 
Our kids don't need our money. They need our presence, not presents. They need our presence and to tend to our hearts. They need that far more than they need a nicer car, a new iPad, and a new iPhone. They need our presence to be present in their lives. And we need to be intentional at that. Kids don't need more stuff. They need us to tend to their hearts. And many of you, aunties and uncles, grandmas and grandpas, you play the role of mom or dad for a lot of these kids. Praise God for you. We need a lot of presence in the lives of our young people to help shepherd them and to deal with that Cain spirit that wants to grow up inside of them. And this leads to the last point. We need to be intentional and present. Intentional and present. Be intentional and present. We make time for what's important. And oftentimes our priorities are off. We make more time to achieve. We make more time to, to, or to just have fun activities and to entertain our children rather than to tend to their hearts. Or, or we're, we're, we're intentional to take them to all the sports and the training and the activities and the dance and the music and all this stuff. But when do we slow down to have the conversations, to tend to that attitude, to tend to the fighting and the selfishness that we see? I know we see it, but we just go, well, they'll figure it out, will they? I kind of wonder if Adam said, ah, they'll work it out. Just let them wrestle in the dirt for a little while. They'll, you know, they'll, they'll love each other after, will they? Because the gravitational pull of all of our lives is to further and further sin. And unless someone comes in and helps to tend to that, it will degenerate and degrade. We need to be intentional and present. I saw this, <clears throat> this, this chart. I want to throw this up because it uh, kind of made me sad. Go ahead and throw up that, that bar graph real quick. Um, parental, par parental influence on a child is the greatest. That blue line is our parental influence on children is the greatest when they're younger. But you notice as they near their teenage years, it decreases and decreases. All the while, the influence of their friends and other people increases and increases to the point where we're eclipsed. And the rest of the world and other people are influencing our kids far more than us. There's a very short window for us to be intentional and present. Can I encourage us, if you're parenting younger kids, be intentional and present during the early years. If you're a grandma and grandpa, maybe to a single mom or single dad, be intentional and present in the early years, more than not. Even if it means maybe we don't get to buy that nicer car or have that newer iPhone or, or whatever, be intentional and present because there is going to come a point where that influence wanes. And when I saw this, my heart kind of sank because I realized I got two kids that are about to think that other people are more influential than me. That sucks. But there's a reality. There's a short window where we need to be intentional and present in the lives of the young people that God's called for us to steward. And maybe you feel like you've missed this window. Maybe you feel like that window's closed, it's moved on, and, and they've moved on without me. I've got good news for us. God can make up the difference. Amen? Maybe you feel like you weren't the most present, the most heart-tending parent or grandparent or auntie and uncle that you could have been. I've got great news. God can make up the difference. Look at what Psalm 68 says. Speaking of God, he is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families and he leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious will live in a sun-scorched land. God is a father to the fatherless. God can show up in a person's life and bring the influence maybe that you wish you had exerted earlier. God can make up the difference. Amen. I don't want anyone to feel discouraged in this place today. But to say, all right, God, I need you to show up. And I love what Pastor Norman, you saw, I say, man, I pray for my kids all the time because in prayer, God is invited into that situation. We need to pray for them and invite the Lord in to these moments, no matter where you are. 
I didn't grow up with a present father in my life. I grew up in a broken home, and my mom didn't go to church. So of the statistics, I had a less than 6% chance of growing up to be a Christ follower later on in my life, between 2 to 6% chance. Statistically, not good. And in fact, given, given my circumstances, I, I was statistically supposed to be, you know, all the negative stuff that we read about broken homes, I should have that in my life. But here's the difference. God brought people into my life to be positive others to be the positive friends and to be the positive others. I started coming to church when I was 15, just when others' influence is more important than my parents. And God brought mentors, brought aunties and uncles into my life, pastors like Pastor Norman into my life to fill the gap that wasn't there in my own natural family. And that's one of the reasons why we got to make sure our kids and our grandkids are in church. Amen? You may think you're the best parent and the best grandparent. I think I'm pretty darn good, but guess what? My influence isn't going to matter as much. They need others to influence them as well. They need mentors. They need peers. They need, and so we've tried our best to make sure our kids are always in kids' church. They're going to youth service so that they have a big, safe group of others to influence them because as great a father as I think that I am, my wife might disagree and my kids might disagree, as great as I think I am, my influence is not going to be that powerful for very long. They're going to need others to come alongside them as well. Who are the others that are influencing your young people? If it's not godly influences, it's going to be ungodly influences. And I don't know about you, I want a lot of good, positive, godly others in my kids' lives to make up that gap and to help make up the gap that I left behind. Be intentional to get them in kids' church so that they have other mentors and friends. Be intentional to get them to youth service so that they, they're around other positive peers that are trying to follow Jesus, campus ministers and adult mentors. I remember when Pastor Camille, she was in the, sitting in the front row in the first service, would pull up in front of Momilani School with a van full of teenagers. And most of them came from broken homes and, and they, they would all pile out of the van. It was like a clown car. Like how many, how many teenagers did you fit in that van, Auntie Camille? And, 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 and it, was, it was so powerful because she was a mother to them. She wasn't pastor then. She was, just, she was just a member of our church. But she was mothering these kids that didn't have that didn't have that came from broken homes it was so much as a teenager myself man i wished i was hawaiian so i could join her group because they were all from kamehameha i was like man i wish i was hawaiian so i could come so i could be in pastor camille's group you know what i mean like that's what we need to be for other people amen <clears throat> so we need to get our young people around others and we need to be others for the young people that god's placed in our lives if you're a teacher you're a coach you're an auntie you're an uncle you're a parent god's placed young people around all of us that we can be others too can i hear an amen and make up the gap that maybe their natural families have. We can make up that gap. If anything, I'm an example of that. And there's so many more in our church over the years that if it weren't for the Auntie Camille's, the Pastor Norman's, the Coach Alfredo's. Coach Alfredo, by the way, who's our Pro Highlands uh, uh, congregation pastor, was a, was a coach at Pro City High School. And I remember when I, when I first started coming to church and I got to know him, man, he would chase me down at, on the campus. But champ, you got to come to this Bible study, get in the gym. And he would like, just grab me and my friends, sometimes literally, <laughs> and make us go to a Bible study. But he became a mentor in my life. He was a positive other. He was just a coach, a substitute teacher and a basketball coach. Every single one of us have young people that we can influence. And we can raise up within them a love for God and a love for people. We can raise up within them godly biblical values that will make our communities better. Or we can allow Cain's to continue to grow up all around us and say, man, someone should talk to that kid. Man, someone should really deal with that. Man, those parents, where are the parents? They need to, you know, do their job. Or God can say, if they're in your life, maybe you're called to be that positive other 
Maybe you're called to be that influence in their life. And I would say we probably are. All of us have young people around us that God's calling us to influence and be a positive other too. Who is that in your life today? Because we can say, well, at least my kids are doing good. My grandkids are doing good. Well, guess what? They're going to have to grow up and live in the community with those other kids. And we can have a positive influence on the people that are going to influence them. I don't know about you. I want to reach my son's friends and help disciple them so that they help disciple him and are a positive influence on him. I can't just say, well, he's doing good. No, he's going to be influenced by those guys. I better get those kids around me. I better get them to church. I'm working on it, by the way, because I want to make sure that he has positive others around. My, my, my daughters as well. I'm so, you know, uh, that's got to be our mentality. We can't just say that's someone else's problem, someone else's kid. No, no, no. They're all our responsibility. Of course, you got to tend to yours, but there are others around us that we need to influence as well. Are we going to let canes rise up around us or are we going to raise them to love God? That's the question we have to ask. Will you bow your heads with me as we come to a close? <clears throat> Father, we thank you. Thank you, first of all, for reaching us, all of us in this room, even if we're brand new to church today, we have positive influences in our lives, which is why we're here. Father, help us now to take the responsibility to love the people that you've placed around us. All of us have young people that you're calling us to influence that will make not just this community a better place, it'll make the world a better place. Help us not to kick the can down the road and say that's someone else's problem. If, they, if you've placed them in our lives, it is our responsibility and our problem. Father, help us to do this. But first, we need to examine our hearts. We need to put the oxygen mask on ourselves first so that we can help somebody else. And so, Father, we open up our hearts to you as we get ready to worship, that you would surface the areas in our hearts that need to be tended to. Is there envy, selfish ambition, jealousy running rampant in our souls? Help us to deal with that so that we can love and lead the people you've placed around us with a clean heart and a clean soul. We love you today in Jesus' name. Amen.